Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I'm Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? Please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. This week, I have my longtime friend and colleague, Susan Spires, joining me. Susan is the owner of Spires Consulting, which helps companies develop their organizational strategic vision, roadmap, and marketing strategies. And most recently, she is helping with channel program development in CRE tech and prop tech industries. Susan integrates a client growth and sales strategy with customer service, helping clients develop their network and ecosystem and assists with technology strategies for the workplace. She's a professional facilitator conducting workshops on building trust and organizational resiliency, which are both critical to the hybrid work model. So thanks again for joining me today on the podcast. Obviously, your background uh, is in corporate real estate technology. Uh, you got a lot of unique experiences. You and I actually met, gosh, I don't know how many years ago. It was probably in, was it's I at Nike? Been probably 12 or 13 years ago, something like that. I think you were ago. at Nelson. I, I think you were at Nelson. Nelson. Yeah. yeah. I was so that's Nelson. a long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And so but, we but our- Nelson actually gave me my introduction to, because they had a tech group, a real estate tech group. So I think they worked with Manhattan and a couple of IWMS implementing for, you know, big financial clients. So that's where I learned about tech was actually yeah. at Nelson. So I had to give them credit for getting me into this industry or at least making me aware that there was an industry. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I have a little bit of a different background because before I got into real estate tech, I was actually a teacher and then worked in strategic planning and nonprofit and then got into franchising. So I actually have like a, um, a, a teacher education strategy and then franchising business background in both sales and operations. And I actually got into real estate because I worked for a franchise company that was an indoor air quality franchise. And that is kind of kind of dropped me into the industry. And from there, I worked with engineers and architecture uh, firms and design firms really learning how to build their businesses. And as we talked about, then I was at Nelson and Nelson introduced me to real estate tech and and voila, I got it was a life changer for me and a career changer. I've had different experiences. I have worked on the service side where we've actually done implementations and worked with clients to figure out what they actually needed out of the technology and, and then making the technology work. And then I've also worked for the technology firms themselves, both Point Solutions and IWMS. So I've got kind of that whole, that whole like gamut of experience. And then lastly, I work for Deloitte launching products and supporting um, IWMS as well. So I've, I've launched them. I've tried to figure out where they fit and I've supported them and I've sold them. So interesting. So kind of thinking about the long history that you have and, and kind of the different perspectives of, you know, business applications, you know, working in IWMS, what would you say 
has changed over the years? Like, are you seeing sort of a change? You know, I've talked to a couple of different people in specifically in the IWMS space and some people that are kind of in the peripherals around the thought around what is the future of IWMS. Some people say IWMS is like, you know, ancient in terms of how how it sort of helps support businesses and that it basically doesn't essentially support businesses anymore. Would you say that 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 there's truth to that or like just would be interesting to hear your perspective on what's changed or what hasn't changed in IWMS? I ask that question all the time to myself (laughs) because (laughs) I wonder where it's going. Um, If you look backwards, you would either get a point solution or IWMS, right? You're going to get a solution that's going to solve a specific problem or you're going to get a more enterprise-level solution that can give you a lens into your entire portfolio. And you can see the one, one source of – or one truth of data, one source of, of the data, and you can make strategic decisions. I think as we move forward, you know, follow the money, right? I mean, there has been so much investment in technology, and so and there are so many cool, wonderful point solutions out there to solve problems – and, and the IWMS solutions are kind of old. They've been around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So they're a little old. They're a little tired. So when I look at, but there still is something about having the one data source. And there still is something about being able to grow with something. And there still is something for me around a company all of a sudden saying, how many point solutions can we manage? I mean, even though they're cool and they're wonderful and they are, and they are cool and wonderful and they're they're easy to use, they're low cost to implement, but when you have 30 of them, I mean, I had a client once that, that called us in, um, when I was supporting IWMS and said, we have 39 point solutions. If I get them down to 10, I'd be happy. So I think in the spirit, none of that has really gone away, right? So I think that the future, when I look at what IWMS can be, two different things. One, it becomes more of a platform that has an an open platform that can actually allow you to take the best point solutions and the best in breed in terms of solving your problem and connect it to the IWMS platform which then allows you to then read the data, have one source of truth of data, and be able to look at your whole life cycle to make some strategic decisions. So I think that's probably where it's going. The other thing I'd say is with since COVID, and we've all been working at home for two years, we've all learned how to do it. And with all the screaming and shouting and the kicking and all that, I think it's changed. So when you look at integrated workplace management, what is workplace? I think that the IWMS platforms that either through open APIs can can bring in data from somewhere else, but to really capture where are we working, what is the cost of that, what's the impact on the environment of going in the office or not going in the office. So I think workplace, where right now it measures office, might measure anywhere we work mm-hmm. so that companies have a lens into that data as well. So um So lastly, I think the other thing that I think will remain with IWMS is the ability to to look at, um, and again, we can talk about how space is going to change in a second, but to look at, you know, space and leases. I mean, you know, you're going to need to, like, do projects, and you're going to need all those pieces. You're going to have facilities that you're managing, and you're going to look, want to look at your ESG scores, and you're, you know, the and, and, and you're going to want to connect to smart buildings. So I think that having the ability to grow into something that an IWMS offers you as one platform and connect it, 
to all the cool technology out there is probably where I think I'd like to see it go. And I think companies like Planon and others are actually there. They're, yeah. They've opened up their systems. So a um, couple of questions. Um, so when you think about or when I think about IWMS, obviously there's different modules of IWMS. And in all the years that I've been doing consulting, I'd say probably 98% of companies are using mostly the space management module. I haven't really seen companies sort of embracing all the modules of IWMS because there's always that argument and having been on the procurement side with companies as well around the, the conversation around best in class, right? So when you think about lease management tools, you think about sort of some of the other things that, you know, there's other tools out there, you know, financial management, kind of those types of things that are sort of considered their best in class. Suddenly it's, okay, the IWMS aspect is just space management and then all these other things will partner with these other companies, which then speaks to this the point solution sort of disparity where you've got all these different data sets that are that need to talk to each other, but there's no way for them to do that. So is that kind of been your experience as well? Or sort of what have you seen in terms of working with customers in terms of how many modules do they do they effectively use the modules? And if they don't, what would be the reason for not looking to doing it all in, in one place? And that I've lived in the IWMS world, there have been quite a few clients that have used all the modules. Okay. So I think that they go in with one module. Like I have actually had a few clients that have bought all of the modules and, and they're typically big enterprise level clients where they're global and they've got complex portfolios and they're trying to really get that single look into, into the data. So I would say that they go in with space or they go in with facilities. When they were doing, uh, when FASB and GASB and the whole lease piece was such a big deal. They, they could go in with lease as well. So if they usually have a starting point and then they grow. Okay. But I honestly would say that there have been years where space has been the top driver and other years where lease or FM have been the top driver and capital projects, uh, not so much as the top driver, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. But, you know, companies got tired of, of <laughs> renovating space, spending two or three million dollars on space that they were not going to renew. And and so at the end of the day, having those combined and integrated so that when you were getting ready to spend your capital budget and looking at what decisions you were going to make, you could actually see what leases were coming up and what, you know, and where they were and, and that kind of thing. So, so I do actually have had a little bit of a different experience than you in that I've mm-hmm. seen clients um, use multiple That's modules. <clears throat> Interesting. So this is a good this is a good segue actually as you talk about you know companies that have you know been renovating space they get tired of renovating space and then make the decision that they're not going to renew the space and yet they've sunk you know money into the renovation. So. Um, what do you consider right now uh, would kind of in the environment that we live in right now would be uh, high value tech tools as it relates to corporate real estate? So we know the value of an IWMS solution having that single pane of glass. But when you think about kind of what's going on with other you know, technology tools that are emerging in the corporate real estate space, what, what's your perspective in terms of what do you think is high, high value? So I'm going to. Um start out because I I can't plug this enough and it's not really about a tech tool, but it's process. I think that part of the challenge 
to get value out of your tech tool is is for companies to sit back and decide where they want to be in three years. There are real important decisions that this is an opportunistic and exciting time. You can either react and wait and see what your employees are doing and and put time and money into it, or you can sit back and say, this is what we want to happen, and then drive it. For example, if you're a company that wants your employees in the office, if that is kind of, you know, even if you're not into the remote thing, then you need to figure out how to make your office a destination place. You have to figure out how to put time and money, you know, put resources into your office. Your employees are going to want to come in. If you're a company in three years that says, I don't care if, you know, they come in 10% of the time, then you're going to want to put your time and money into giving them the tools they need to work wherever they're going to be working. So I think getting people on board and making some decisions gets tools to be more valuable over time. So when I'm thinking about tools, The other piece that I'll throw out there is any tool that helps companies figure out what to do with this plethora of data that they're getting. So when you have your IWMS or your point solutions and your sensors and and all this stuff coming at you, it's really hard. I don't think our clients really know what to do with all of it to make the best strategic decisions to get them to that third destination point, right? or whatever that destination point is. And so there are tools out there that are starting to really, um, I think, like beyond HQ and Navigator CR, Relogix, you guys are all starting to help clients sort through data using a tool to do it so that you can make some important decisions. I think that's a real high value. I think that we all just live in our own little boxes and we only know what we know. It'd be great to have some outside help with that. Um, I think that... Virtual reality is kind of interesting. So if everything's about employee engagement and you've got people not in the office, how do you give them an experience of working online that's as close to being in the office as you can? I mean, honestly, I think I'm I'm a little over, like, the top on age to understand how my avatar is going to make me feel more excited about being in the space than being in the space or being on Zoom. But people have been doing it in gaming forever. So the gamification, the virtual reality, the helping to figure out what's going on with data, I think is really, really important. And then I really think that getting all this different data into one data source so that everybody's pulling from the same stuff and looking from from the same data source uh, in order to make their strategic decisions. Those are kind of the big ones that I see. I like what you said about how it's not so much about the tool per se in terms of what drives the value and it's more a focus on process because we see that as well um, in our company where you sort of look at it and you say, okay, we all know that the value of what we do at Relogix is about, you know, the data and the outcomes, not even the data, it's about the outcomes. What is the company ultimately trying to do? And I think what's interesting is, is that there's a there's a pro there's definitely sort of there's two stories to this there's one is the company needs to get at the data to understand what the business is doing and so there's all this focus on data and analytics and how do you do it and kind of all of that stuff and kind of getting to that what what's the decision that I need to make so there's definitely value but then on the flip side of that and equally so if not even more importantly is the ease of access to this processed data Right. As you said, there's a lot of data that's out there that are all interconnected and that, you know, as a standalone, for example, an IWMS solution or a sensor solution or looking at badging or whatever data sources it is that you're looking at, 
they don't really do very much on their own. It's only when you right. bring those data sets together that suddenly this patchwork quilt, as my ex-boss at, you know, Telus used to say, you know, suddenly starts to come to, you know, into formation. And, so, and all of a sudden you start to learn things about your organization that you would not have otherwise have seen. So that's kind of where the insights um, come into play. And so I think that's really, really what it's about going forward. What's interesting, though, is, you know, we started up this conversation with, and I've heard this before, with, you know, you've got an, an IWMS platform and, you know, is it dry, is it to drive the information into that platform to augment what is there? And how limiting might that be when you start to, you know, throw in other things that are not typically part of an IWMS solution? That's, I think, the part that, you know, again, if you think about how corporate real estate traditionally looks at data and kind of the stuff that they are focused on, if it's just corporate real estate data, yeah, absolutely, IWMS would be kind of that central or that single pane uh, of glass to view the data that's all relative to corporate real estate. But what we're seeing in our world is, is that there are other data sources that are either not uh, data sources that belong to corporate real estate, but that are definitely complementary to what corporate like, real estate is like trying HR, to do. Like HR, like HR and that kind of data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've seen like in some IWMS um, solutions where, you know, HR is somewhat integrated, like if you're doing seating assignment and that kind of stuff, there is some level of HR integration in there, but not to the extent where the, the real value of HR data, which is kind of kept separate from what you would actually bring into an IWMS solution, that's the kind of stuff that really is where the mashup of the data sources needs the value of bringing those data sets together that's going to start to paint pictures around the demographics of your organization and what is what are the attributes of the people in your organization and what's the correlation between those specific attributes and their dependency on office space. And once you understand the behaviors of people and kind of what they're doing and are there similar, we're not saying that there are, like you're not going to say, yeah, you know, people that are of a certain age demographic or a certain tenure demographic or whatever behave this way. And therefore, you know, it's a, you paint the brush over everybody and say, okay, this is the way you plan for this group of people, because we know that it's every company is unique. And the reason that they're unique is because of the makeup of their company which is their people. No two companies are exactly the same, even if they were, you know, had the same culture, the same beliefs, the same values. The mere fact that the people that work in those organizations are different and the makeup of those people are different is what makes each and every company unique. So it's really interesting when you think about it from that perspective of really, again, going back to the fact that it's not about the technology in terms of the hardware. It's Ultimately, what are you trying to understand about your organization so that you can position for going forward? That speaks to the fact that um, really, you know, we've been talking for years, right? Um, when I was back at Nelson about how HR has to work with real estate and IT has to work all the three, HR, IT, and real estate. How many times have we talked about that three-legged stool and gone to conferences? And But they really have to do it now in a very different way because as employees get more empowered – and employees know what what they're willing to do or not willing to do and still perform hr really is the owner of productivity and 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 the employee itself but we do have to in real estate support that so how we work with um in my in my crazy world is i think about going out in in using artificial intelligence and using tech 
to find information you need. You have to figure out what information you need and why, and then have the tech there to find it and bring it in. Nothing more, nothing less. Whether it's HR data or whether it's demographic data in the marketplace, whether it's, you know, are the employees there? What are the tax incentives like? Or should we open up an office in this space where we need this kind of production? Do we have the people? I mean, I think that technology is is going to get closer and closer to going and getting the information they need to answer the questions that you pose. So how do you figure out those questions? Yeah, That's yeah. the key. The other thing you also uh, mentioned, well, it's funny because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, was this whole like VR and, you know, what is the experience, you know, the employee experience and employee experience or just workplace experience. Maybe let's just backtrack a little bit and say workplace experience is really something that I think still needs to be defined because workplace experience means different things to different people. So it could be, you know, if you're looking at data to design the workplace experience, so again, it's that order thing of what is the intention when we think about the destination workplaces. Once you understand what people want, then you design the space to fit what people want. So you're designing that workplace experience. On the other side, then it's providing or sort of monitoring or measuring, I hate the word monitoring, but measuring what the workplace experience is like for the user, right? So that's kind of more the employee experiences. Did what you intended to do from a design perspective actually, was that actually achieved based on people's interactions? Where do you think experience fits? Because I'm seeing a lot of talk right now about, you know, the, the need for uh, improved employee experience, whether it's, you know, because you're trying to figure out how to bring people back to the office or just in general to keep people, um, you know, employed at the company where so we don't have people just, you know, dropping like flies. Um, wh- where do you see employee experience in terms of, you know, its importance now and also in the future? I think it's critical. And I think, and, and what's interesting now is that because we've been home for a couple couple years, I think that um, I was just listening to something JLL was doing last week, and they're starting in their mobile apps to look at. And you can't have a million mobile apps, right? So I mean, we have to have a mobile app. <laughs> um, we all have enough apps on our phones. But how do we bring into that employee experience what we've all been doing at home for the last two years and bring it into the office? So if I've been getting my office materials from Office Max or Staples or Amazon or wherever, you know, can I just order my my office stuff online? Can I go to Grubhub or Uber Eats and get my lunch delivered to me? Because I've been doing that for two years, right? I've been getting all this stuff without going out of the house. Can I walk into a space and... And have the height, the lights and the heating, you know, match what I, mode I prefer. Do, does everything, do I have to go out to everything or can I be at home right now and have my app tell me that my team members are going to be in the office on Tuesday so that I go, well, I should go in the office Tuesday. Like what is that ease of use? that just makes our lives more seamless. So I think that that's part of where tech can help. And I think people are thinking about it now. And I think that's pretty cool. So I think that the other piece is safety and security, right? I mean, I, you know, um, the whole idea of visitor management and my space is clean and I've got my space when I walk in. I mean, I worked for a company once where, you know, we'd walk into the New York location and we'd be like looking for space and looking to sit down and looking. I mean, that wasn't a good experience. We spent 20 minutes trying to find a touchdown space. 
So I think using the sensor data, using our utilization data, figuring out who's in and when to make sure that when we do show up to the office, it works. And we have what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. I think that is really important. Um, I remember going into an office once where, okay, everybody's got, like, Wi-Fi and laptops, but my laptop didn't work. I could not find a single plug-in anywhere to get anything to work. It just didn't exist. Okay, so then I couldn't really, you know, hook into the Internet, and I couldn't do what I needed to do. So how do we really make sure that, that those experiences are, are easy? And then from a technology point, really the user interfaces and the, um, you know, and, and the, the way I, they do wayfinding. And, and I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, they miss the fact that, you know, there are extra cupcakes and bagels left over <laughs> from a meeting room. And where is that located? And, you know, I don't know if I, I need that, but to some people that they love that, like a surprise after lunch of extra food being left over and around. So, you know. Um, so lots of great points that you've made. I, I, the one specifically about, you know, the experience makes me think of the post that you made on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago where you, I think you were traveling and you were just talking about that seamless experience of how everything just worked. And I remember reading that and thinking that's actually pretty cool that you didn't really have to think about anything because it was just it just knew what to do. It knew who you were. It knew kind of how to respond to different things. And you just, you know glided through that whole travel experience without having to touch anything, without having to do anything. And and what it made me think when I was reading that was, I mean, I think that's ultimately what we're striving for is that, you know, the technology is there to enable that. But people have been very guarded. And I don't know. I don't even know if it's people have been very guarded or if it's just something like some other force behind us about, you know, privacy and security, which it's kind of like, okay, when we think about work, I mean, this is, a, you know, I'm sure you've encountered this as well as, you know, you walk into a workplace as an employee. Well, obviously, when you first get hired, you know, you sign away sort of all of your, you know, policies and stuff like that around really what does privacy mean to the company. And there is no privacy as far as you're concerned because you're there to do a job and the company can basically, you know, monitor you if they wanted to. Right. But it's interesting that, you know, there's this huge sort of backlash on privacy and awareness and kind of these things which are really the foundation of enabling these optimal experiences for people regardless of whether it's at work or you're at the grocery store or you're at home or kind of wherever it is that you are to connect that sort of online world with reality of what's happening and sort of move people through and so do you think that again thinking about privacy like do you think that that's something that will become much more relaxed in the workplace in the not too distant future because that's been something that's been of you know i would say from a resistance point of view right up there and it's been there for at least 20 years if not more so i have to unpack that a little bit so i you know part of what made my travel experience work so so easily is that the machines could read my retinas and I had fingerprints, and so I didn't need a driver's license, or I didn't need a passport ID thing, or I didn't need – because I had those other ways of identifying me. I, I was a little freaked that somewhere that my retina – but on the other hand, think about how protective that is. I mean, what I thought about is nobody could take my identity. Nobody could use it to spend my money somewhere or to do something illegal because they knew who I was and they were measuring it in a way that could not be counterfeited or forged. 
So on the one hand, I think that that is actually more private and more secure, even though you got to get there, (laughs) you know, because we're used to cards. Um, I don't think things get more relaxed, actually. I think we need to figure out how to do it. I think that um, as privacy laws and rules get stronger and stronger for our clients and for us going externally, I think internally my stuff is my stuff. And, And, yes, it belongs to the company. I mean, at the end of the day, when I left, um, I, I left a company once, uh, I resigned to go somewhere else. The second I pushed, I resigned, my computer shut off. I mean, there it goes. It was there and not mine. I was done. So I do think there's going to be a blend of what we get used to, and, and that'll seem more relaxed. Yeah, and I, I, I remember us having this conversation, and I have the same reaction still now around, you know, your thoughts around, you know, using the retina of your eyes or your fingerprint or whatever that's uniquely yours to actually verify your identity and create more security rather than feel like, oh, my God, this is something that's like extremely private and invasive. You know, initially you think, oh, my God, they're going to have my fingerprint or they're going to have my, you know, my retina to identify me. But it's true. Like you can't replicate that that's uniquely yours and no technology could replicate it although maybe they can I don't know like there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens but we also have the conversation around we always obviously go in good faith that the data that's collected on us and this is true in the workplace because uh, I've seen it where you set the stipulations around why and how you use the data and then the data gets into the hands of the managers and suddenly their mind is like thinking other things. And it's like, no, no, you're not supposed to use the data for that. It's only for planning purposes or stuff like that. But you can't help human nature to say, oh, you know, Jane Smith isn't coming into the office every day. and She's supposed to be here five days a week. And so I'm going to go and reprimand. That's not what the data is used for, should be used for. And so you're always going to have those those bad apples that I think is what creates that extra precaution around uh, around data. But I think that there's truth. I think that there's this element that, you know, there's there's privacy and then there's privacy and that when you're in the workplace or you're working, uh, you know, that there's certain things that are OK to share where it's not going to be used against you. Like, I'm totally against this, this whole thing of like monitoring keystrokes like that's I've read articles in the last couple of weeks that this is kind of like this new emerging thing that companies are monitoring their employees by keystroke. I'm like, that was that's, so hard. I was like, oh my gosh. Like why? Like, you know, what, what is, what is the purpose of that? And, you know, people mock at it because they're like, I could be, you know, doing something completely different or just because I'm hitting a key on my computer, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm working. Although on the tech side, they could see what applications are you working in. And there's all kinds of stuff that they could obviously explore in terms of trying to understand that but it's like really like there's so much more that they could be doing that they're focusing on on the wrong thing so that's so that's the hr piece right i mean teaching managers how to manage i i will tell you that when you look at privacy you know and this is like human nature thing how much of it's confidence so when i first used the google suite and the collaboration tools and i realized you could save like we're all collaborating on the same document but you could save all the versions. Like you, there was like you, I want to look at version, the version that was done a month ago. Well, I'm, the way I work is to kind of try stuff out, try stuff out, try stuff out. I don't know if I want you to see my third version of what I was trying out because I'm working on that tool. So do I have to print it or get it into my hard drive and, 
and not have it in the version thing because because my 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 process is no longer private in a Google suite. And by the way, I love the Google collaboration tool. So it's <laughs> not a comment about that. In fact, in my current business, Buyers Consulting, I actually have a Google collaboration site because I love that, but I had to get used to it. I mean, I had it because I felt like my process was no longer private and and how I thought was now public, how my thought train was public. And I was kind of uncomfortable with that, mm-hmm. you know, not uncomfortable necessarily with the retina, but uncomfortable with the tech, not the work tools that are letting people see my process. I just want them to see my end result. The end result. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, I want them to be wowed or something. Not, you know. not the messy part of what it took to get there. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. So I um, that could be a lot of like how the tools end up helping us, whether it's design tools or, you know, how do we get to where we get to and what's private. It has to do with our own confidence level. Absolutely. So taking this back to sort of, IWMS, now that we've talked about privacy and just kind of, you know, different things that kind of need to happen and sort of the interrelation of data to really sort of drive the value. Again, I sort of think about, you know, IWMS solutions and data sets that I've extracted um, from IWMS where if you had an environment where seats were assigned to employees and you had an integration with HR, you could basically put a name to a seat in our world, like in the sensor world you know, the sensors are anonymous. So we don't know. We just know it's you got a sensor on a seat. We don't know who that person is unless the company says, okay, we're going to integrate with HR, pull in all the attributes of that user, and then report based on different things that the company is trying to do. But as we think about where potentially we're going, like this whole concept of unassigned seating, which has been around for quite some time, flexibility, desk sharing, kind of all of that stuff, where you lose the identity blow up the blow up the whole space thing yeah like yeah. space space module doesn't have the same purpose anymore right exactly yeah yeah and i've seen yeah. that i've seen that in the past where you try to you know create that in a tool that isn't designed to do that and that becomes extremely problematic for a company because how do you manage space when the tool itself is not designed to do that because it assumes it's one to one and I don't think that businesses, if we're going to have a world where I'm going to just either reserve a space or stop in and pop in and work with my team for a couple of days a week, then chargebacks. Are we really going to do chargebacks anymore? And do we need move sets changes? I mean, I think that the whole space piece of an IWMS or actually any, even a point solution is going to have to be reimagined in order to look at you know, I think it's Twilio on, on Mush Pit or something talked about hackable space. Like, yeah. how do you how do you design hackable space that that people employees can come in and make it be whatever they need it to be in order to do the work they're there to do, and it could be different from day to day. And what does that look like on a design a space plan? And how do designers take that? And then how is it measured? So I think that's very different than the way space is currently configured in an IWMS. I, I would agree a hundred percent. I think when I think about IWMS, I think about structure. Like everything is has its kind of its purpose. It's kind of like okay, you allocate X amount of space to, you know, whatever that sort of specific space type is, and what that space, the intent of that space type is, and what I'm thinking of, and kind of already I'm hearing sort of some emerging sort of ideas around what is the purpose of the future office going to be. Lots of conversation around 
it's going to be for, you know, people to come together, whether it's for social purposes, you know, collaboration, structured meetings, that kind of thing. I'm kind of calling it, I think it's going to be far less structured than what it has been, possibly to the extent that people are not even going to have to book a seat. It's more drop in and using the technology. So the sensor technology to help you manage the supply and demand rather than that long winded process of putting in an IWMS because we know IWMS is never up to date. Right? It takes forever to get your IWMS up to date, your drawings, kind of all of that stuff to say exactly what you've got on your floor plan. And companies right now need current information. The historical information has been completely been put to the wayside is to say that information is no longer helpful or useful because it's not current. It's not telling me what's happening right now. So the real time element of what is required in order to not only manage space, but also to think about where do people go? Like when you're coming into a workspace or a workplace, where are people congregating? What kind of spaces are they going to? Is it the hackable spaces? Is it more of the structured spaces? Is it, you know, the enclosed spaces? Is it the open spaces? And so there's an opportunity right now for companies to learn how their spaces are being utilized or not. And that, I think, as we continue to monitor that over time, we'll start to then form sort of the direction that the company might want to explore in terms of how they might think about redesigning their space going forward. I don't think it's a, hey, let's monitor for three months and then slash the space and call it a day. There's a lot more involved in that. And the more time you give yourself to really understand what these natural behaviors are and how people are choosing to interact with space, that's very telling versus following policies and procedures and all the things where you're directing people when and how to use space. And I also, as you were saying it, I became a little breathless putting myself in the seat of the head of real estate or head of workplace. (laughs) Because really, as you're thinking about it, we've got an IWMS tool that we've implemented and used for the last 10 years. And it's very structured and space is what it is. And I know that people are going to be using it differently, but the reality is I don't know what that means because none of us know what we're really going to do in six months because it's kind of a, a new thing for all of us. And, and, and on top of that, so I don't want to slash anything and I don't want to make decisions right now that are going to not be right in six months because, you know, I might decide I'm going to go into the office because I'm dying to get back. I'm dying to see people. I want to work. But then I get really tired of that 45-minute drive, and I and and I, I honestly get tired of thinking about what am I going to wear and do am I, like doing all the decision making that gets you from when you have to go to the office versus kind of just rolling into your office at home or going to WeWork. So so we really don't know in six months or a year where people are going to land and what they're going to decide to do. I think I I also read on LinkedIn the other day. I had dinner with a colleague, a friend of mine who has a 45-minute drive to the office, and his boss is requiring him to be there three days a week. And he has worked with HR. He's worked with his boss. He's a high performer in sales. And he is now, after three months of going in and working with him, he's he's now going to start looking for a job because he doesn't speak. So, again, he went three months ago and thought it would work. So his intent was was there, right, with the company. And then three months later, he's like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So I don't know how we're all going to react. So if I'm the head of real estate right now, I've got my structured 
program. I'm putting in sensors or looking at badge data. People are coming or going, but they're getting different variants of COVID, and so they're coming and going irregularly, and it's kind of random. So how do you be flexible enough in in how you um, kind of lay out your space or watch? Or maybe it's really about talking to employees and watching and observing and measuring and taking that data and, and matching it to what they're saying and really listening for the first time about what they need or the say, you know, depending on who you are. And then, you know, again, what do you want this to be at the end? You've got companies have control here. They can decide what the risks are to make when they make certain decisions, but they have to be intentional about it and they have to be strategic about it. And I think that will direct them a lot. I also think that the other pressure that I'm hearing, but I don't think it's going to happen right now, which is why, again, an IWMS could be helpful, is, you know, eventually CFOs are going to come in and say half the space isn't being used. Now, they've been saying that for years, but now, People are not going to come back and they're going to, and people are going to either be told to shed space or actually increase space or whatever. So they're going to need to start thinking about a year from now or two years from now and start doing that planning because leases have, you know, leases have expiration dates and you have to start not just kind of working and exploring the, the current and the near future, but then the longer term at the same time because you've got milestone dates you have to meet and you've got opportunities that you could leverage. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's funny, actually, because I made a post on LinkedIn probably a month or so ago about, you know, how corporate real estate's been a bit of a wasteland for many, many years where nobody really paid attention. It was just one of those necessary costs that you had to have. And it was just that was the reality. And I sort of always looked at it to say, well, is it really? It's just because nobody bothered to really look at the data, which takes me to this question of, you know, you said before how we don't really know what the future holds. uh, And, you know, companies are somewhat paralyzed right now because they're not really sure what direction to take. Do you think that that's because they don't have enough data to make that decision or that there's too much data and that there's no process? The only thing that we know is things are going to change. (laughs) And I think that it's more about all of the above. And we're all humans. And we all can make certain decisions about our own lives. And I think overlaying all that data, no matter how much data you have today, we as people might change what we want to do tomorrow. So real estate needs to figure out or the company needs to, again, step back and figure out What do we want our employees to do and how are we going to put our money behind that and our time behind it and our resources behind it and how are we going to listen to them? And I think it's more of a discovery. You know, you look at a project and there's a discovery phase and you could test ideas out with your data. You can test. You need to have the data about what is so that you can then we haven't even talked about predictive analytics which i think is critical to where it's all going is to look at a data set and be able to predict what who's going to be there what what your costs are going to be um how if i do x it's going to impact my workforce in this way i think that there are lots of opportunities for predictive analytics to play into our whole our whole narrative but we have to direct it a little bit and manage mm-hmm. to it because i don't think you can take into account the human factor No, and I agree. And I think the key is really, as you said, it's, you know, the levers and kind of the company sort of trying to decide, you know, where and how do they want to position themselves where 
corporate real estate for many years, as I said before, has just been something that you have um, because it was expected that people came to work. The thing that I've always found really fascinating is, is that, you know, you read uh, what are they called? The uh, annual reports of many of these companies in terms of what's important to them. And they talk about, you know, the health and wellness of their employees. They talk about sustainability. They talk about, you know, connecting with community. And, and then you look at, you know, mandates like right now to return to office and you're like, that kind of contradicts these values that you're claiming are what's the center stone of your company. And I think it's interesting because it's like, I think the, those levers are already defined. It's just that no one's really made the connection around how what you do should actually align with what you believe and what you're saying right. that you're, you know, you're, you're supporting. And you know what, with that, we didn't talk about one more big piece that I think is huge coming up, and that is ESG and sustainability and yes. smart buildings. So I would say that any IWMS platform out there needs to integrate with that data. It needs to really, I mean, ESG scores, and, and ESG scores are going to include what your savings are if you have 30% of your workforce in or 40% of your workforce yes. in, and what is going to be the difference in your energy costs and usage and as well as diversity and equity and all that stuff. But I think that IWMS has to be linked to all that in order to get that cost life cycle piece moving forward and, and to get that lens into ways to manage that and strategically impact that to provide yeah. value to your organization because sustainability is on everybody's radar right now. Yeah. yeah. It's actually it's funny that you say that because um, the company where I worked at before, uh, that was actually very much part of the goal. So the company was already, you know, doing mobile since – uh, early 96, I think it was, or maybe it was 2006. Um, they basically kind of progressed over the years to work towards mobility. And when I joined in 2015, they were already 75%, 75-80% mobile. And it was true that people were not, not working in the office. Um, but what was interesting was uh, the way that the connection to the mobile workforce tied to ESG. So we had a sustainability team and the information from corporate real estate actually went over to that team to calculate, you know, how much did we save as a result of reduced commute? What is the impact on right. operations and kind of and quantifying the impact that we were making in ESG that ultimately was reported in the annual report. And so when you talk about sustainability, when you talk about things like that, that matter, this is what I was saying before is you got those values noted in your annual report if you're a public company. And so it's you have like a direct way of being able to measure the impact that you are having on those goals based on the decisions that you're making with respect to where you hire, with respect to the locations that you're choosing for your workplace, you know, the amount of flexibility that you're going to allow your employees to interact with space. So they're all interconnected. And that's, I think, the piece that a lot of companies haven't quite made the connection yet is that it's there. It's been there for a long time, but nobody's yes. really paid attention to it. And with all the point solutions and with all the solutions out there, you're really going to digitize your entire workplace. And as long yes. as you're going to digitize your workplace and you have an open IWMS platform, you can pull that data in and really start analyzing it and, and making decisions around it. So, again, it's all about the open platform, getting best of breed, looking at first stepping back, obviously, and saying, this is what we want to find out and this is where we want to go. And then 
making sure that it's the solutions are there to get to get you that data so that you can make decisions. And I would definitely include digitizing and ESG in there. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, we have a, we have a company, actually I'm working on a project right now with a, a, a company that I think is very leading edge in terms of how they're looking at the consolidation of their, these different data points. And commute is very much a part of the decision making. So they have a lease that's coming due in the next two years. They're thinking about getting out of potentially all of their space, but they're kind of reconsidering, you know, should we keep an office? You know, is that something that we do? Do we go to, you know, space as a service, as an alternative? Um, and so the commute is really what's driving that is to say, let's see where our people live and then let's correlate where people live to how often they come into the office. And this is during the pandemic. So it's kind of like nobody's mandate. They don't have a mandate for people to come back to work. It's just people voluntarily choosing to work from the office and then exploring what departments do they belong to? You know, uh, looking at their demographics, so their tenure, their age group, the distance, you know, doing calculations around their, their motive of transportation, both looking at distance and time. And it's actually quite fascinating when you start to look at that correlation between those types of data sets. It's very different than just looking at it and saying, okay, 20% or 30% of people are coming into the office. Like, so what? What does that mean? So what? Exactly. Right? Exactly. And based on what's going on in the world for employee retention, attraction and retention, people want companies to be measuring this and people are looking for companies to have an impact in and to do the right things. So I think it's really big on attraction and retention, retention. as well. Last question. Okay. What do you think the future of the corporate real estate technology toolbox will look like in the future? I think that the toolbox, number one, is going to have something to help you analyze data. Data is king in all of this. And I think that the more we have the ability to collect data, the more data there is, the more there will be tools out there to help you make sense out of the data. So I think that that's really big. I think that the one single truth of data, one source of data is going to be key. So whether it's an IWMS that becomes your source of data or um, a data lake or a data warehouse, I think that that that's going to be in the toolbox. I, I don't think you're going to have 39 or 40 point solutions that you're managing, and but you're going to be having an open platform that you can pull data in and out of. I think mobile apps, mobile apps and or app. <laughs> that really allows your life to be incredibly easy. I mean, I can even imagine it's probably there all, all together today. And we didn't add this scenario, but I walk into an office and my mobile app tells me where I'm going to sit based on what I've been doing for the last three months. I don't have to explore and look. It's going to tell me what my options are. And it's going to yeah. be smart. What else? I think ways to digitize your workplace. It's going to all be digitized. And, and I think that those tools that allow you to do that is are, are going to be core and central. I think capturing environmental sustainable information is going to be key. So I think that those are it. But so open source, I think it's going to be open. It's going to be digitizing. It's going to be mobile. There's going to be AI and IoT, and there's going to be ways to collect data and then analyze it. Um, sounds really exciting, doesn't it? It does. And it's funny because just as a final thought, it's, you know, I had a, a thought on the weekend about how, you know, in the past, you know, companies were 
fighting for sort of, you know, what was that competitive advantage and sort of how were they surfacing, you know, their uniqueness, you know, in the marketplace. And it almost feels like we're at a turning point where that competitive advantage uh, is more about how you, how well you collaborate, how well, like with other companies. So it's not necessarily just being, you know, the sole provider, it's how well do you work with other companies so that together you can do something really great. That's what it feels like to me that that's what's emerging. Um, cause it just, it just feels like, you know, especially in the technology world, you know, you, there is not one technology solution that solves virtually every problem. And that's why if, if technology is what's going to drive the success of the future, the the need for technology to work together is going to be key in driving that success. The other piece I'll throw out there, and I know that the the, the current IWMS solutions, and there aren't a lot of them, um, are trying. I wouldn't be surprised if a new one emerges, and that you know the 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 solutions that aren't really thinking about what we're talking about today, about being open, about digitizing, about smart buildings, about all that, all the things we're talking about today, somebody's going to come up with a new cool version of getting this, you know, one source of data lens into your whole portfolio so that you can make decisions. So I wouldn't be surprised. And with all the money being poured, I think they are saying the last year or two plus this year, it's going to be the heaviest investment in prop tech and real estate tech. So I would say if I'm looking at the market, I think being curious is really critical for anybody in our industry. Because I think when you're curious, you're going to be open to possibility. And I think that the way we're doing it today is we're talking about the way it looks on February 1st. We could have this again in six months and see what it looks like, you know. Um, so the other thing, too, and I can't emphasize it enough, is that it's time for stakeholders to sit back and make some decisions about what they want and think about where they want to all be and get agreement because there's so much out there and there's so much noise and the sales teams are pounding on your door and, and when they're compelling, you want to buy, like really figure out where you want to go and what you want to do and why you need the data and how you need the data and work the data piece into it. I think is so important. I don't think we can emphasize that. The other piece we didn't talk about today is trust. You know, I, I, as you ask the questions about security and privacy and all that, and, and I think about people working from anywhere, how do we build environments of trust? We all have to trust each other in a very different way. We have to trust that the data we're getting is okay and that we're not overstepping a line. And we have to trust our employees and hear them about what they want and what they need. We have to trust our managers to use everything in the right way and, and to be there for us. You know, um, I know at Spires Consulting, we're actually putting a whole workshop together on trust. And I was thinking about even our conversation today, trust is so big to let any of this enable any of this to work. Absolutely. I think that's at the core of all all of this, whether it's technology process, you know, how business operates, how employees feel like if that's the thing. The one thing that connects connects us all is ensuring that we're working in a trusting environment and that we're all working towards, you know, a positive change in terms of how we how we work and how we live. Like that's really what it what it comes down to. So You're counting your counting your keystrokes is yeah. the way no. to build trust, <laughs> don't you think? For sure. 
<laughs> well, Susan, this has been fun. Thank you again for your time today. Uh, it's always fun talking to you. Could have a whole other podcast on many other topics, which I'm sure we will in the not too distant future. So <laughs> thank you again. Yeah, thank you for asking me and happy to like do another one with you soon. I was, it was really fun. Thanks, Sandra. <laughs>